You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Courageous and confident. That's the title of this study on the book of Daniel. We have seen, as we've worked our way through this book, that the first six chapters are narrative in genre. They tell the story of Hebrews taken from their homeland into exile in Babylon. And they are called to live faithfully in a culture that is opposed to their God. And we were inspired in those first six chapters by Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and their stand for the one true God in the midst of immense pressure to conform. Then in chapter 7, through the remainder of the book, the genre changes. It changes from narrative to apocalyptic. And it revolves around three visions given to Daniel that give him some insight as to the future of his people, the near future. And there's even information given to Daniel about the end times. And even the the figure called the Antichrist and his role in the end times scenario during the Great Tribulation. So we've been walking through these apocalyptic visions in the second part of Daniel. And this morning we come to the final sermon in this book. But I want to remind you of the title of the series, Courageous and Confident. The first six chapters, the narrative chapters, remind us to be courageous in standing for truth and standing for the one true God in the midst of a culture that is opposed to truth. And the one true God. We're, we're, we're encouraged towards courage. The second half of the book, chapter 7 through 12, give us confidence. Confidence that God knows the future. Confidence that God oversees human history. He is sovereign. And confidence that when it's all said and done, God wins. So the result of the study of the book uh, book of Daniel should be in your life and my life that we walk away as more courageous Christians and more confident in the victory that's found in Jesus. And we'll see that in the last sermon on uh, on this study, in this study. And it's the second part of a sermon I started last week. And the title of the sermon is The Purpose of Prophecy. We've made it to the second sermon on the purpose of prophecy. So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through the end of this book. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. If you're physically able this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. I was really encouraged this morning, and I was really going to highlight this example. Uh, I was standing over there at the beginning of the service, and I saw our chairman of deacons, Bruce Garner, on the front row. And I thought, what an example 
coming down to sit on the front when no one else wants to. And I was really going to make a big deal about that, but he left, and he's back there now. So, sorry. <laughs> Dean, Debbie, Elena, Greg, thank you. Thank you for, for remaining the front row. And our students, too. Thanks for being on the front row. All right, good deal. All right. Daniel, pray for Bruce. Okay, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is, char- uh, who is charge of your people. There should be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Interesting. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are so grateful for another opportunity to gather as a faith family. Lord, we're grateful for the reminder. We heard it in the the prayer this morning. The church is the people, not the buildings. And Lord, even when we have issues on our campus and HVAC systems go out, Lord, we can still gather and still praise King Jesus, who is worthy of our worship. And I pray, Lord, that as we study your word, you would move in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our eyes might be opened, that we might understand the truth we're studying in such a way that we will apply it to our lives and be changed. God, I pray that tomorrow will look different in our lives because of what we studied today. Transform us, Lord. Move in our midst by your grace and always and only for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Chapter 11 is a very detailed description given to Daniel of what was coming in the near future for the nation of Israel. We talked last week about how this description involved the, 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 the Medo-Persians overthrowing uh, the, the, the Babylonians and then the Greeks overthrowing the Medo-Persians and then Alexander the Great's empire being divided into four different parts. And chapter 11 focuses on two of those four kingdoms, the Seleucid kingdom, the Ptolemaic kingdom, and how there was great conflict between those two. And the reason those two kingdoms were highlighted is because the promised land where the Jews lived is found right in the middle of those two kingdoms. So it involved the Jews to a great degree. And then we studied again Antiochus Epiphanes, the Syrian uh, general who led in great atrocities against the Jews. And we saw how Antiochus Epiphanes foreshadowed another great evil figure, the Antichrist, and how he would uh, rule and reign and exercise his authority during the end times in a time period called the Great Tribulation. And that's where we pick up chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, during that Great Tribulation, as the Antichrist is doing his thing, Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, uh, and there shall be shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. In other words, things will be so bad for God's people that Michael, the angel, will rise up to do battle on behalf of God's people to restrain the evil that was going on during that time. And then some more information is giving about this this end times event, the great tribulation, and. The, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, and what it means for God's people. And again, there are some very specific predictions and prophecies made in chapter 11 and in chapter 12, really throughout the entire book of Daniel. And it causes us to ask the question, why? Why does God give us prophecy in the Bible? Why complex passages like we find in the second half of Daniel? Why Complex passages like we find in Ezekiel or in Revelation, this apocalyptic literature. Why does God give us prophecy? What's the purpose? And I gave you the thesis last week at the very beginning of the sermon, and it holds true today. The primary purpose of prophecy is spiritual preparation. If you don't get that, you won't really understand what you're reading or its significance for your lives. The primary purpose of prophecy is spiritual preparation for God's people. The primary purpose of prophecy is not to satisfy curiosity or to promote endless conjecture about things we don't know for sure. The reason we have apocalyptic literature is to get us ready to stand strong through whatever may come our direction. And that's what we talked about last week. We said that God gives us prophecy to produce four realities or four characteristics in our life. So last week we looked at the first two. God gives his people prophecy to produce steel in our bones. That we might stand strong through opposition and hardship and trial and tribulation. God gives his people prophecy to produce hope in our hearts that will have a perspective on the end times and understand when it's all said and done, those who know Christ are on the winning team and we have heaven to look forward to, hope in our hearts. But third, and this is where we'll pick up uh, this morning, God gives his people prophecy to produce peace in 
our minds. Now, look at me. If you study prophecy and you come away wringing your hands, you're not doing it right. You don't understand the big picture. Ultimately, God gives us these specific details, these specific prophecies, so that we can live with peace. Doesn't mean that we live at ease, doesn't mean we don't face hardship or trial or opposition, but it does mean as we walk through this world, as we journey through what is coming, that we do it with a, a peace in our minds that transcends understanding. Let me show you this in the text. I want you to notice two questions that Daniel asks, which really mimic the questions that we ask about prophecy too. So look what Daniel asked there in verse 6. Someone said to the man clothed in linen, I believe this is uh, Jesus, the, the same uh, man clothed in linen that is mentioned in uh, chapter 8. This is Jesus appearing to speak to Daniel. And it says, he was above the waters of the stream. And Daniel asked him, okay, you're giving these details. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Give me some timeline. And Jesus responds with a little bit of a timeline. He says it's going to be a time, times, and a half a time, which means three and a half years. So the scenario that he's describing at the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12 is, is something that happens over a three and a half year span of time. But he doesn't give him any details beyond that. For example, when will these events commence? When does the tribulation start? When will Christ return? He doesn't give him those details, does he? He just says that the events I'm focused in on are going to be three and a half years. But Daniel wants more info. Give me, some, give me a timeline. Give me a timeline. Can I tell you this? If you look at church history, you see, you see people under false teachers depart from orthodoxy, depart from the Christian faith. And a lot of times it's because some charismatic leader starts predicting the time of Christ's return. They start giving you times and years and and scenarios, and, and, and that always leads astray because the Bible does not tell us when these events are going to happen. He tells Daniel, this event, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, that's going to be a three-and-a-half-year period during the seven-year tribulation, but I don't want to give you more details than that. But Daniel wants to know the time. Then look at the next question he asks in verse 8. He says, I heard... But I did not understand. And I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Give me more details. A little bit scary, a little bit uncertain. You're, you're giving me the big picture, the broad brush strokes of the unfolding end time scenario. But I want more details. Give me more details. And notice that Jesus doesn't satisfy his curiosity. Look what he says in the next verse. Go your way, Daniel. Go your way. In other words, I believe Jesus is saying here to Daniel, leave the details to me and you do what you're supposed to do. It's interesting that, that God doesn't give Daniel intricate details about the end times. He doesn't want to overwhelm Daniel. He wants him to face the future with confidence and peace. Now, how can God's people have peace 
when they walk through a scenario like the Antichrist being opposed to God's people. And you say, well, what if we're not living during the tribulation? What if we're not living during the time of the, of the Antichrist? First John indicates, you know what's alive and well today? The spirit of the Antichrist. So all of us, as we live for Jesus, face, encounter anti-Christ sentiment in our culture, right? So in some way, shape, or form, we're going to face the realities mentioned in these chapters. And you and I can walk through opposition. We can walk through hardship. We can walk through trials with peace because we know the victor. We know the victor. Now look back in verse 7 of chapter 12. I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters. The man in linen, verse 7, the same figure from, I said chapter 8 earlier, chapter 10, verse 5. The man in linen is mentioned, and I believe that is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And he shows back up. Daniel says there's one on one side of the river, another on the other side of the river. I believe those are angels. And then Jesus is over the river, and Jesus is speaking. And as these events and these scenarios are given to Daniel, isn't it interesting that Jesus is over it all? Hands lifted, telling Daniel what is coming. It's a picture of sovereignty. It's a picture of the reign of Christ. It's a reminder that even though we don't understand it all, Jesus is over it all. Amen? No doubt Daniel is strengthened by this This vision of Christ, the man in linen. Now, let me say this. If you know Jesus, if he's your personal Lord and Savior, you can have great peace as you walk through hardship. But let me hasten to add, if you're not a child of God, prophetic messages like we read in Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation... They should fill you with fear and even terror and an urgent desire to get right with God. Because look what it says back in verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. There's coming a resurrection at the end of the tribulation period. Those, those who are asleep in the dust, those who have died in Christ, a euphemism for death, shall, shall awake those who are in, in Christ to everlasting life, some, but some, and these are those, those that do not know Christ, if you compare this to Revelation chapter 20, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So if you know Christ, you're raised to everlasting life. You get to go to heaven and be with him forever. If you don't know Christ, you'll be raised but you'll be raised to spend eternity separated from God in that awful place called hell. So if you're a Christian, these prophecies should say, yeah, there's hard times coming, but I know the victor. I know Jesus. I'm on the winning team. I have hope for my future. If you do not know Jesus, these images and this information should terrify you. They should, they should cause an urgency in your life to want to get right with God so you're ready for what's coming. You're ready for the end times. You're ready for eternity. You're ready to stand before God one day because your sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. And so here's the question. 
Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Have you been born again? Has there been a point in time in your life when you said, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus rose from the grave. I believe Jesus is my only hope. And because of that, I want him in my life. I want him to come in my life and forgive me and wash my sin away. And I want him to be Lord. I want him to be the master and I want to follow him wherever he leads. Have you come to that moment in your spiritual journey that you know that you're saved? If you're saved, you can face all of this with peace. If you're lost, there is cause for great concern. I've heard it put like this. Eternity is long. Don't be wrong. But if you're a Christian, you can have peace because you know the victor. The only way to know God, the only way to have this peace and assurance is through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But secondly, we have peace because we know the book. We know God's word. We have God's revelation given to us. Look what it says back in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel says, what shall be the outcome of these things? Give me some more details. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Now, when the Lord speaks here of the sealing of the book, he's not saying hide it away. He's saying preserve it. Because there's coming a time when God's people during this tribulation period are going to experience great, great difficulty. And during those times, if they'll break out the book, if they'll look at what God has already said about this in Daniel and in Ezekiel and in Revelation, other places, if they'll look at the book, they'll have peace. They'll have proper perspective. Sinclair Ferguson says it like this, The wise with Daniel's book in hand will understand the true significance of the events through which they are passing. The wicked will know only confusion and bewilderment. Those who have the book of God, those who have the revelation of God, will have the perspective they need to walk through tribulation, whether it be the great tribulation or tribulation in this life caused by the spirit of Antichrist in our culture We need to know what the book says. In the context of Daniel 12, he's talking about the book, the revelation God had given to Daniel. But aren't you glad that in today's time, in 2023, we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have Genesis through Revelation. We have all of God's word to us. And if it were not for this book, if it were not for this truth, We'd be wringing our hands, wouldn't we? What is coming? How should we face it? How do we, how do we keep on keeping on in faithfulness to Christ when there is the antichrist spirit everywhere? So if you have the book, and in our culture today, the book is available. It's everywhere. You can get it at, on your phone, an app on your phone for free. You can buy it at Walmart. The book is everywhere. If you don't have one and want one, we'll give you one. But the book, the book, the truth of God 
gives you the perspective you need as you walk through whatever is coming. And it gives you confidence as to how it's all going to turn out. I remember in ninth grade, I had an American government class. And the teacher of the class was Coach Wilson. And uh, Coach Wilson was a, was a good teacher, great guy. But what he would do is he would write on the week before he gave us a test, he would write all the, the questions and answers on the board. And he'd say, I want you to write down the questions and answers I'm putting on the board. Some would diligently get out their notes. They write down the questions. They write down the answers. Some would blow it off. They would ignore what Coach Wilson said. They wouldn't write down a thing. And then on test day, Coach Wilson would say, if you took notes this week, take them out. You can use those notes during the test. Now think about the people that didn't have the notes. Uh-oh. I don't have what I need to deal with this test. And if you took the notes, you had confidence, you had peace, because you knew the answers. And listen to me. If you have the book and you saturate yourself with the book and become a person of the book, you have what you need to face the spiritual test of life. Amen? We can have peace in our minds. And so, what's the purpose of prophecy? Stealing our bones, hope in our hearts, peace in our minds. Fourth and last, faithfulness in our lives. That's what God's after. That's why he gives us the books, why he gives us this information, because he wants to spur you on to faithfulness, faithfulness in our lives. I'm going to call your attention again to what he says to Daniel. Look what it says there in verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. How many of you have ever read an apocalyptic piece of literature like the book of Revelation, and you read it and think, I don't understand it all? Anybody ever been there? Uh, listen, I've been pastoring for over 25 years. I read his apocalyptic literature, and I still don't understand it all. I'm growing. I want to learn more. I'm, I'm researching and digging, and, and, and God's teaching me a lot. And we need to learn. We need to be, we need to be approved workmen studying the Bible. But we also need the humility to say, I don't understand it all. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. But what does God want? Look what it says. What shall be the outcome of these things? Verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel. In other words, leave the details up to me. You go do what you're supposed to do. And that's not the only time he says it. Fast forward to verse 13. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, between these two admonitions from the Lord to Daniel to go his way, to be faithful in his calling, he gives Daniel some important information. In verses 9 and 10, we see that many of God's people will stay faithful and many will pursue greater and greater wickedness. We'll see both of those things happening during the, the Great Tribulation. 
But verse 11 tells us there will be a key event in the midst of the tribulation, halfway through, that signals the beginning of the final three and a half years. Look what it says there in verse 11. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there should be 1,290 days. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes, who walked into Jerusalem, he forbid the sacrificial system, he forbid the, the, he forbade the, the keeping of the Sabbath, he set up an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies. The Bible calls that a, 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 an abomination of desolation. Blasphemy against God. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes, the Antichrist, who Epiphanes foreshadows, will perform his own abomination of desolation halfway through the seven-year tribulation period. And that, that abomination of desolation is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, and it indicates that the Antichrist figure will take his seat in the temple of God that has been rebuilt, and he will claim to be God and demand worship. Heresy, blasphemy, an abomination, desolation. That'll happen in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period that the Lord says is coming at some point. But then, after this event, two lengths of time are given. In chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, we're revealed, uh, it's revealed that great tribulation will last for three and one half years, approximately 1,260 days. In verse 11, the figure 1,290 is introduced. If you're doing the math, that's 30 days beyond the end of seven years or beyond the three and a half years, the second part of the tribulation. So why is there a figure given that's 30 days longer than the end of the three and a half year period that signals the end of the tribulation? Well, I like what one scholar said. This could be the time after Jesus returns that he be begins to judge the nations. For 30 days, he judges the nations. Then in Daniel chapter 12, verse 12, another figure is given, 1,335 days. And that adds an additional 45 to the 1,290. And it says, those who endure to this time will experience great joy. They will be blessed. Again, the question is, why extra time? Why 45 more days? Again, some scholars believe this will be when Christ establishes his literal, physical, 1,000-year kingdom on this earth. We don't know for sure, but after the three and a half years, there's 30 days and then 45 more days where Christ is ruling and reigning actively. And this could be the judgment of the nations and the inauguration of Christ's literal kingdom. So let's just recap real quick. Halfway through the seven-year great tribulation, which is future tense from today, the Antichrist will demand worship at the temple and usher in great persecution against those who follow Jesus. Three and a half years after that moment, Jesus will return to put down the Antichrist and his followers and set everything right. The next 30 days could be when Jesus judges the nations. Then 45 days after that will be the inauguration of Christ's kingdom. And so there's some specific details. But again, notice what he says to Daniel. 
Go your way. Go your way. Daniel, there are some intricate, interesting, fascinating details, but there's still a lot of mystery, isn't there? And if you study prophecy with intellectual integrity, you'll walk away saying, yeah, I'm learning some things, but there's still some mystery here. In other words, it's not meant for you to understand every detail. He's saying to Daniel, I want you to get the big picture and I want you to be faithful, but go your way. Daniel, in the midst of of what I'm telling you is coming, I'm calling you to be faithful. And I believe God gives us prophecy to produce faithfulness in our lives. Let me give you two areas or two reasons you can be faithful in this life. Number one, be faithful in this life. Rest is coming. Look what it says in verse 13. Go your way till the end, Daniel, and you shall rest. Be faithful. Fulfill your calling. Obey God. Live courageously. Live confidently. And you shall rest. Daniel is encouraged to be faithful knowing that rest is coming. Now Jesus taught very clearly, very pointedly, that our lives should be lived with spiritual urgency. Amen? Amen? Be more urgent about your amens. Our lives should be lived with spiritual urgency. For example, in John 4, 31 through 36, after the encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria, the disciples find Jesus and they're urging him to eat. They say, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? What did he eat? Where did he he go out to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus says, hey, look around you. There are people everywhere that need Jesus. The the fields are white and ready to be harvested, but you got to go tell them about Christ. Urgency. Yeah, I'll get to eating soon, guys. But there's something more important to me than where my next meal is coming from, Jesus is saying. My spiritual nourishment comes from doing what my Father has called me to do. That is to be a witness as the fields are white unto harvest. Over in John chapter 9, verse 4, when they encounter the man blind from birth, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, God gives us an allotted portion of time that we call life in which to serve him. It's like daytime. It's the time we're called to get the work of God done. It's it's the time we're called to be faithful. It's the time we're called to to fulfill and achieve the purpose for which God has put us on the earth. But one day night is coming. This life will come to an end. And then you'll have no more opportunity to do what God has placed you on this earth to do. So live with urgency. Be be faithful. Be faithful. Focused on serving him in the time that he has given you. But know that one day, one day, you'll be able to rest from your labors. 
and what glorious rest that will be. There are seven blessings pronounced in the book of Revelation. Here's what one of them says. Revelation 14, 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed are those who know Jesus. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Isn't that interesting? Their deeds follow them. In other words, when we step into eternity and we're in the presence of Jesus, we get to rest in his presence. Our work on earth has been done. But listen, what we did on this earth will show up in heaven. It'll follow us into heaven. So blessed are those who work while they have opportunity. Uh, Paul said it like this, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so we can be faithful in this life. Rest is coming. Work hard. You get to rest in eternity. Amen? There's balance in life, absolutely. But we're called to take advantage of the days God has given us to serve him, to make much of him, to walk with him, to tell others about him. Be faithful in this life. Rest is coming. I know playing sports growing up, I... I uh, Played soccer uh, early on in my, in my high school years, and we had a really hard coach my first two years of soccer. His name was Coach Wadlow. And uh, Coach Wadlow was all about, he wasn't much of a, he didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about soccer. He just said, we're going to be in better shape than everybody else we play. And he would run us and run us and run us and run us and run us. And, and here's what would happen. Inevitably, he'd say, okay, this is the last interval. I want you to run across the field, go behind the goal, and come back about 220 yards. This is the last one. And when I knew that was the last one, I would push, I would run with everything I had because I knew rest was coming. And you and I can be faithful in this life knowing the rest of heaven is coming. Secondly, be faithful in this life. Your inheritance is coming. Look what the Lord says to Daniel in verse 13. Go your way till the end. And you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place. Interesting phrase. Your allotted place at the end of the days. That word allotted place translates the Hebrew word uh, goral. It refers both to the lot that is cast and to the allotment that the lot determines. So it frequently designates the towns or lands assigned to a tribe or group. That was used throughout the history of the nation of Israel. And here's God's encouragement to Daniel. Daniel, go your way, be faithful. I know you don't understand it all, but be faithful because you have an allotted place, an assigned space, a place designated, set aside for you at the end of the days. In other words, Daniel, serve me faithfully. When it's all said and done, you get a heavenly inheritance. You get a place, a place set aside for you in heaven. It, it reminds me of what Jesus said over in John 14 to his disciples. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back, come back and bring you to that place. In other words, we can be faithful in anticipation of heaven. 
in an anticipation of the place that God has for us. And think about the encouragement of this to Christians who are suffering. Make no mistake about it. The book of Revelation was first of all given to seven churches in Asia Minor who were facing great persecution for following Jesus. And think about as they read that apocalyptic literature, the unfolding of the end times and seeing that when it's all said and done, Jesus wins. And when it's all said and done, they get to be with Jesus forever in heaven. Can you imagine the encouragement of of suffering Christians realizing that if they would be faithful, God would take care of them. On May 19th, 1780, the Connecticut House of Representatives was in session. And there was an unusual storm that developed in that area, Hartford, Connecticut, on that day. About noon, a front came in and the sky began to darken. And the clouds were so dark and so full and so terrifying... Some of the people, even in the the House of Representatives, thought this is the end times. I mean, God's bringing things to a conclusion. They were falling on their knees and crying out in terror. That's That's how scary this storm looked. One person said to the Speaker of the House, should we adjourn? Should we leave? I mean, it's so scary outside. Should we just... Stop business here in the house. And here's what Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the House, said. He silenced everyone and said, The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought in. It's dark outside. Light up the room. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. And that's what the Lord's saying to Daniel. He's saying even when there are clouds on the horizon and it's scary and it's hard and there's opposition and the spirit of Antichrist in this culture has come against you, do your duty. Stay Faithful to King Jesus. So we read Daniel 1 through Daniel 12, and there's a lot to learn, and we've really just been skimming the surface in this sermon series. But it's almost like the Lord is using Daniel to answer objections that may rise up in our hearts. For example, human history records that you may suffer under a tyrant, right? Daniel keeps saying, Medo-Persians overthrow the Babylonians, Greeks overthrow the Medo-Persians, the Romans overthrow the Greeks, and we've seen that throughout human history. King of the hill, empires in conflict, kings and kingdoms in battle and war. And it is a very real proposition that we who are living in this moment in human history may live under a tyrant, But the book says tyrants will be judged and Christians will be saved. 
We read that the reign of the Antichrist will be full of terror. The spirit of Antichrist, alive and well today, is full of terror. But the book says the Antichrist will be defeated by the Christ. He will come in Revelation with the sword of his mouth and just speak and overthrow his enemies. We're very acquainted in this room with the reality of our own mortality. We're not guaranteed another blink of our eye. We're not guaranteed another beat of our hearts. We're not guaranteed another breath. I don't know when I'll die. I don't know when you'll die. But I know we're one day closer than we were yesterday, right? You may die. But the book says, if you know Christ you will be resurrected with a new glorified body. You may look around and say, this world is full of trouble. Yes, but there's heaven. That's what the book says. You may say, well, Pastor Wade, I want more detail. I want to know the timeline. I want more details. Leave it in God's hands and you focus on faithfulness with the time that God has given you. That's what the book says. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.